the council council doesn't have anything to do with ABAC. And in fact, the council councils and FAIR and all sorts of people who are the anti-alcohol lobby are attacking them constantly, but then also using them and therefore (laughs) legitimising them. Radio Brews News is proudly presented by Cryer Malt. With over 25 years in the field, Cryer Malt are dedicated to providing the finest brewing ingredients to help brewers create the foundations of a truly excellent beer. They are your premium brewing partner and they are our proud sponsors of this. And this is Brews News Week, our regular wrap-up of all that has made news in beer this week. I'm your host, Pete Mitchum, and joining me, peering through the curtains into the outside world to take a good hard look at the news, the views and the issues are the founder and editor of Australian Brews News, the Lord of Lockdown, Matt Kierkegaard <laughs> and ace reporter and senior journalist, the Queen of the Red Zone, Claire, where's my boom? <laughs> G'day guys. <laughs> Morning Pete. All right. Uh, lockdown, huh? Yeah, apologies to listeners um, we're, because we don't have our, Claire's just on phone um, and she lives, uh, you know, more than a, a string's distance from the nearest exchange, so uh, it, it can be a little bit scratchy. Just to head off any complaints about any booms that may or may not occur, because <laughs> who knows, Claire might drop out, you know, we could have issues. Just for, so everyone knows, today, yes, the boom will be literally phoned in. You guys got a lot of stick for that, actually. I was kind of surprised. I deliberately did mine badly. Oh, yeah. I did. Yeah. Did you think I was trying? <laughs> no, Did you think please. that was my best Yorkshire female boom? Oh, let's do some news, shall we? Hey, listen, before we start, I have to say, because since we've got Claire here and haven't had her for I, – I, we haven't been on together for three uh, three weeks now. Um, oh, my God. I don't normally recommend beers, but Claire, hmm. on your recommendation, I went and tried the Heineken Zero Zero. <laughs> I would never recommend that. No, you but did, anyway, no, but, go on. I when, said it wasn't well, you that said bad. you yeah. said you tried it, and it was uh, to quote you, it was as close to the alcohol version as as True. what you'd yeah. tasted. And I have to say, I concur one hundred percent. Ah, brilliant! It's, yeah. it's. I mean, it's not bad for what it is. You know what I mean? Well, and, the, and look, the other thing too, and this is uh, uh, opening up a you know the floodgates on Pandora's can of hornets worms, but um, about twelve bucks, so about two dollars an each. That's kind of what people expect, though, and that's interesting because, you know, we've got sober who are going at much higher price points and you're a bit like, is someone going to pay for that when they've got the Heineken Zero option or something like that? Yeah, I, that's, that, that was my point. And, and look, probably worth bringing up perhaps uh, later on or in below the fold. But anyway, um, mm. first of all, we shall cross live to the Australian Brews News Media Centre for a wrap-up of the stories making news this week. And Claire... I just wanted to test you because three weeks ago when my, the NBN went out, I had a uh, a tag set up for you mm. to see if, just out of interest, if you had any idea whatsoever which story it related to. So it probably actually makes more sense to throw it at you. So I just want to throw it at you now. Okay. And I'll, so I'll read I'll read the bit that I wrote, and then you okay. tell me if you can if, if you can work out oh, what God, it's name story <laughs> it's related to. <clears throat> okay. All right. And Claire, uh, now a few years back in season 2018, one brewery rode high above the pack, took a specky and played on. But this week they spilled the mark and the opposition, scouting the pack at the fall of the ball, has swooped in to pick up the crumbs and they've pumped a torpedo to score from outside 50. <laughs> I have absolutely no idea. <laughs> Something sporting related? 
<laughs> it is sporting related. Well done. Cool, it, cool. It, yeah, that, that, that was a, a an AFL reference. So that was that was colonial. Oh, I was taking gonna, the big oh, mark above the yeah, pack. Okay, okay. But then CB came in and or Asahi came in and uh, yeah, picked glorious. up the colours. But anyway, you'd be a good commentator, sports commentator. I uh, did okay. it as a yeah. Um, we used to get invited up to a, a local footy club to do um, uh, comedy. Uh, oh, the police and the yeah. police and the fire brigade used to play a game each year, so we got to just do all the bad dad jokes about you know police and firemen <laughs> and all that sort of thing, and it was a, a lot of fun. <laughs> fortunately, well fortunately, in this age of PC, um, no record of that exists. I'm pretty sure. Well, thank God. <laughs> I, thank God, nobody had iPhones back then. I assume. That could have gone wrong. So, anyways, uh, Claire, for our first story this week, let's get one ticked off the buzzword bingo right off the bat. It's uh, ABAC. Ah, ABAC. Uh, Yeah, so uh, this was Tuesday. The Council Councils of Western Australia and Victoria um, released a report. If you can't tell, that was me doing air quotes. Um, A report about uh, ABAC, how it's dealt with the pandemic marketing, about specifically about um, alcohol companies who've marketed uh, based on, you know, calling alcohol survival kit. Um, Although as long as it's pandemic related, they basically scraped it from ABAC. Um, They tore them a new one, effectively, said they were ineffective. They didn't have any any clue um you know their objectives were vague all this kind of stuff and in a really unprecedented move uh ABAC responded in I w- what I would say is quite a sassy manner for ABAC they're normally quite neutral um in their responses to whenever we ask them for media commentary or anything like that but basically they uh, revealed the identity of the complainants that used their alcohol advertising reporting scheme They've counted about 19 complaints um, that were associated with the pandemic. And they basically said, uh, Harry Jenkins, the independent chair of the ABAC committee, management committee, he said 14 of those complaints originated from the authors of the report by the Council Council and their colleagues. It was quite shocking, actually, to see that. I think I got the sense that that they kind of had enough of this. Harry Jenkins also made the point that it was, uh, and I quote, it's great to see organisations such as the Council Council using the ABAC system and prompt an effective action from advertisers in response to determinations resulting from their complaints. Um, so it was kind of a little two fingers up to um, the Council Councils as well. Admittedly, it's an important issue. We didn't want um, people using and abusing the pandemic, trying to make people drink more, but they've reiterated several times, lots of self-reported surveys, um, that ridiculous survey that FAIR did, um, if you're checking your bingo card, um, about having 107 adverts on social media in the space of an hour, which was just ridiculous. They couldn't have been called a report. Um, But what really struck me on this one is that um, the Council Councils declares that um, quality research underpins everything we do. And I think that just says a lot about the anti-alcohol lobby, uh, their lack of self-awareness on a lot of things, issues like this. But well done to ABAC on that one. Yeah, definitely an interesting one, given that they've named um, for the first time, because mm. isn't part of their whole remit that, you know, complainants will remain anonymous? Uh, yes, and they are entirely unnamed up until this point. And so I've actually found out the names and I just thought... You know, I mean, we're not here to if you wanted to have a find out who they were, you can. And they're quite easy to find. But I think they just had had enough. They were had enough of the council councils, the anti-alcohol lobby, 
using their system and then completely slating it like a couple of months later to their own ends effectively so i mean well done absolutely to them good on them for for doing that because as, as claire just said you know You've got a body that has a very, very clear, strong anti-alcohol view deciding amongst themselves that something is bad, making a complaint when the complaint goes against them saying, well, they're wrong because, hey, we wouldn't have complained if we were, you know, if, if it wasn't terrible. And then you've got the same, you know, the same people professionally complaining. So it's not infringing community standards. It's you know it, it, infringing it's a, their standards. It's infringing yeah. their um, you know completely unworldly standards for uh, what what happens. And you know it, I, I, the the ironic thing about this is that there is a one of the bodies was the Western Australian Cancer Council, and there is you know the Western Australia Health Network has its own ABAC style alcohol complaints mechanism. <laughs> that they don't even bother complaining to themselves anymore because it is so pointless and toothless. The last <laughs> um, juris- the, the, the last judgment they had was in 2019. So you've got the anti-alcohol lobby setting up its own body and then not even using it because it is so pathetic and uh, toothless. Whereas yeah. ABAC, you know, ABAC polarises the alcohol industry because it actually does take action. Yeah, it was a crazy one. Although, um, and I'm sure we'll talk about it below the fold, but there was some interesting comments um, on the back of that on Facebook. Um, but we'll talk about it later. Below the fold, At yeah. a later date. Yeah. Plenty to talk about. <laughs> Meanwhile, Claire, uh, in some good news, it turns out that um, this indie beer thing um, is worth a bit of cash. It is indeed. Um, so the IBA released a report this week. Um, I believe they've been doing some work with Deloitte behind the scenes, um, you know, the big accountancy firm. And they've uh, estimated that Australian independent brewers um, contribute $1.93 billion to the uh, to the Australian economy, which is pretty fantastic. Um, and it also supports 33,000 Australian jobs. Um, so I believe that they're in, on a bit of a... Um, they're talking about budget submissions and what they can do to support the industry and stuff. Um, and this is sort of a little bit of background that they uh, um, they must give to ministers and things like that when they go out and attempt to lobby them um, and say how, you know, this is this is why we're important. This gives us a bit of credibility. Um, this is why you should listen to us and, and potentially consider our demands. Um, so, yeah, that was a really interesting one. It's a very much a, a lobbying attempt. In a marketing attempt, um, because I remember when there were two dueling reports out about eighteen months ago, where mm. the IBA said, "You know, this is the market share of independent craft beer," and you had the Brewers Association, you know, having very, very different figures, even though <laughs> nominally they, yeah, you know, and they had different consultants compiling the the information. Essentially, com- consultants give you the result that you want. Um, what, yeah, what would you like, Mike, your report? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And we'll reverse engineer it. And particularly given it's lobbying. And, you know, like that 31,000 figure, look, I, I just have to be consistent because when the Brewers Association always brought that one out, you know, they're counting all of the jobs involved in hotels. 
Um, and you're going, well, look, you know, so if indie uh, beer didn't exist, you know, would those jobs go? Um, no, probably not. So, you know, just because craft beer touches a job, is it a craft beer job? But then the the, the flip side is you look at all of the, you know, beer tourism, beer tours, um, and all of those sorts of things, a very, very hard thing. But... I have um, had shared with me this morning, apropos a discussion that we've had in the Facebook group about the different excise treatment for different alcohols. Um, the Winemakers Federation of Australia has responded to all of that discussion that was on ABC News earlier this week, um, looking at why should wine continue to receive a differential tax rate compared to other alcohol types. And, you know, they've got a marketing campaign, you know, um, wine is more capital intensive than beer. Fermentation equipment uses two to six cycles per year for wine, 50 cycles per year for beer. Um, the maturing stage is 64 weeks for wine, one to six weeks for beer. Um, you know, uh, invested capital required to generate $1 profit is higher in the wine industry, $11.18 versus $8.23. So, you know, you've got all of these different elements of the alcohol industry all lobbying in pre-budgetary submissions. Um, And yes, you need to state your case. I always wonder, you know, Treasury is going to be getting bombarded with almost identical submissions um, that all say contradictory things. So you do have to wonder, you know, whilst it makes the membership feel good, does it actually move the needle in terms of convincing government? I don't know. Yeah, good point. I do. I, I did like the way that the wine industry basically says we're really super inefficient, so we should get <laughs> benefits because of that. What? <laughs> like make it so the grapes grow, you know, so you can make your stuff more than twice a year. I don't know. <laughs> Have a think about it. Use a bit of this. Uh, uh, speaking of industry bodies, um, there's one that applauds the government's drink roadmap, Claire. Indeed. So, uh, Alcohol Beverages Australia cover the whole shebang, beer, spirits, wine. Um, They have basically reacted to the government's release of the Food and Beverage National Manufacturing Roadmap, uh, wordy as always from the government. Um, They basically talk about how they want to support the industries, about how they're planning on setting up some funds and things like that. So lots of positive stuff on that one, although I do think it's an interesting moment to have published that given that um, JobKeeper is now over and we've just gone back into lockdown in Brisbane uh, and the hospitality industry is going to take a massive hit, I think it's really interesting that they've, not that they could have predicted that or anything like that, but, you know, we knew JobKeeper was going to end and lots of people were quite furious about it, especially in the hospitality industry with these ongoing lockdowns. So I think this is them covering their bases, but um, good intentions. So we can't say, can't say no. We'll see how it goes. Um, and it also helped that uh, the government's roadmap had some quite similar um, goals to uh, the ABA's uh, Vision 2030. I think we spoke about that when you were away, P. Um, just about how it wants to support the industry and um, look at reducing red tape and helping jobs creation and stuff like that. So um, positive stuff. Uh, we'll, we'll see how it goes. Uh, we shall indeed. Meanwhile, Claire, the craft beer mm. community group uh, brews a collab beer. Yeah, so this one was a nice little one. And we we get a lot of these collab 
things and you know sometimes if it's there's something of interest um to the wider industry we might go for it and this one was an interesting one because i mean and i couldn't determine whether this was and i have a feeling it's not the first collaboration of a beer community group so um the hunter valley beer snobs facebook group they've got about uh, 1600 members I believe now they um, teamed up with Molten Hops Brewhouse in uh, also in the Hunter Valley and launched a red IPA so they had a bunch of their um, guys going to the brewery and learning from Molten Hops brewer Dan Linden uh, and it was just a really nice little collaboration I think um, it's a fantastic way for the brewery to engage with some like serious craft beer fans that want to find out more about the industry. Uh, you know, that's where a lot of people in the industry has come from, just being really massive craft beer fans. Uh, and Dan Linden, uh, the brewer at Malton Hops, he was really lovely, really lovely chap. And um, he even made the point, you know, that collaborating with your drinkers, um, he said, looking forward and and developing a new beer is an excellent way of tapping into the minds of the very people who are responsible for keeping us in a job. Um, and I think that sort of, you know, keeping in constant contact with the consumer, seeing what they're after and explaining to them what you're doing is like vital uh, for this industry. And, you know, it's just a great example of that. So, yeah, well, to you guys as well. Interesting use of the word snobs. <laughs> of, uh, Matt's dislike for words like punters and booze. Yeah, yeah. It's just, it's worth the discussion. I like it. Yeah, definitely. I like it as well because obviously Hunter Valley being known for wine, um, they're just flipping it on their head a little bit. So I'm like, oh, good on you. But it's, yeah, again, like words, I write for a living, words matter to me. And I remember Dan Hampton, who we had on the Beer as a Conversation this week, um, His he used to have a tastings business called beer snobs and i always used to think oh you know do we is that really the what we want to be projecting but you know with dan it was deeply ironic um you know just as you know i think the young henry's sales reps are booze slingers um (laughs) you know it's uh, (laughs) a and uh, you know it's a little in joke isn't it we'll let them off well yeah look it's it's a ditch that i uh have died many times in And will continue to be resurrected <laughs> and die again. No, no, I'm just just laying down in that ditch these days, Pete. <laughs> just let it, yeah, just let it lie there. over the top. No point getting back up again. <laughs> let it go through to the keeper. Uh, oh, brilliant. Speaking of ditches, uh, now, Claire, some good news. Um, beer trail grants for two inner city suburbs, one in Melbourne and one in Sydney. Absolutely. So this was an interesting one. So, again, we got the... Um, media release and it was all like oh we're doing a beer trail yeah interesting like cool obviously helps the industry in that area great that you're collaborating and everything like that um, but then once I sort of probed a little bit further, it turned out that both of them had actually received grants, um, either from the local or the state government, uh, to set up these beer trails, which is a good sign from the government. You know, they're supporting number one, local projects, number two, hospitality, and number three, uh, independent craft brewers. So, um, yeah, awesome on this one. In Collingwood, I believe it's the five breweries there, um, they received 20 grand uh, earlier this year from the city of Yarra to set up the and this is I think this is an entirely new one I'm sure there was informal ones going on previously um, having been to Collingwood before I know they're pretty close but yeah so this one's a fantastic one and then in the Inner West um, the obviously the Brewers Association the Inner West Brewers Association so I say they've had one going for a while and they've got a little um, My Community Project grant from the New South Wales government to give it a little bit of a revamp uh, set up some murals do some more artwork do some proper maps and branding and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and it was fantastic. It was just really nice project uh, for all the brewers. You know, they're 
getting in it together. They're making themselves known to the government. I know the one, uh, the mayor in the inner west is really keen on this one and supported it all the way through, uh, which is just a really good sign uh, and a great way of and shows just that everyone working together, which is fantastic, especially after such a rough year. Um, we want some positive news. So, yeah, that was cool. Exactly. And look, we often speak or, you know, talk about the concept of a crowd brings a crowd. Um, so this collegiate um, atmosphere rather than a competitive atmosphere, you know, the, the the more things you have and the more people know about them, the more they say, oh, actually, it's worth a trip into, you know, whatever postcode because we can yeah. Uber from one to another or walk from one to another if it's a nice, whatever it might be, have lunch at one, tasting paddle at another, finish with dinner at another. Exactly. Um, and it's just a great little idea. Um, I think it also promotes um, potentially not getting absolutely wasted because they're just encouraged to have like one beer at one place and then go to the next place, have a little wander between them and stuff like that. Um, I think that's what why people get concerned about breweries, especially in inner city suburbs, is that, you know, what kind of drinking culture are we encouraging here? But stuff like this is very um, above board, I'd say. Um, measured. Encouraging. A measured yes, approach. Exactly, exactly. Um, so, yeah, good good. Dare, dare we say sensible. Oh, dare we say it? Dare we say it? Uh, and interesting, too, that uh, because the city, um, often facetiously referred to as the People's Republic of Yarra, um, have copped quite a bit. Black. Um, there's a almost thirty percent um, vacancies in in some of what were the bustling um, you know boutique shop you know quirky sort of places. Mm. The city of Yarra basically has um, has moved very much towards uh, encouraging people to use public transport, which is great. But if you want to go and do shopping and you know buy a slab and whatever, you're not going to put it on a bike or or try to cart it all on a tram. Um, yeah. So it's good to see them doing something that will um, will help businesses in that area, and hopefully that um, it's the start of something even bigger. Cool. Speaking of starting something, uh, Claire Bright has launched a pretty cool little recycling scheme. Yeah, it has indeed, and I sent this to Matt when we got it through because I was like, I have always wanted to know what I do with these. Like I've got piles of them. Like, My do Facebook I put them feed in the is filled with people going, you know, I, I, to, to, I actually worry about how much some people drink when you see that, you know, oh, look, I've got 200 of these pack tech things. <laughs> okay. And you're like, oh God, I, what's the time frame? Yeah. <laughs> but people hold on to them because they, they just have that feeling of being recyclable, but no one knows what to do with it. Yeah, uh, for those exactly, who have just, exactly. just joined us, we're talking about the little things that hold your cans together that yeah used to kill dolphins and turtles, but now uh, oh, yeah. a little... <laughs> well, the like, Pac-Tec yeah, ones, I'm that. sure. No, no, Pac-Tec ones. Yeah, they replaced those ones, didn't they? Um, and you see them, they're everywhere, all over the shop. And so Bright Brewery has um, set up a recycling scheme. So you can basically email them and say, can we get a, a, a box um, for our bottle shop, for the supermarket? And then uh, customers can chuck them out, uh, chuck them into this recycling scheme and Bright will take them and uh, recycle them properly. Uh, I spoke to Laura, um, Laura Gray, the marketing uh, manager at Bright, and she was like, I was like, why is that? Why can't you just chuck them? And she was just basically like, well, if you recycle them at home, there's a risk that, you know, if there's commingled recycling, if there's uh, stuff that can't be recycled in your um, usual recycling thing, but you just didn't know, um, they'll just end up in landfill anyway. So this is like a guaranteed way of getting them recycled. 
recycled um, rather than the potential uh, hit and miss of uh, recycling at home. Uh, so, yeah, it was just awesome, especially as as Matt says, like I've got a bunch at home. I'm going to have to. It's only in Victoria at the minute, but they are planning on rolling it out uh, to the rest of the country when possible, um, if there's enough interest and things like that, um, which was really cool. And, you know, I couldn't. Not that I'm always looking for ulterior motives or anything, but, well, I am. But um, this, with this one, I was like, it just seems like a genuinely nice um, programme from Bright to do something to help, number one, help their sustainability credentials and that of the customer. Um, and just a bloody nice thing to do. You know, they didn't have to do it. Uh, it's not really their problem, um, but they did it anyway. So, yeah, fantastic. Good on them. Yeah. And I don't know what it's like for you guys up there or for those in other states, but here in Victoria, certainly one um, big success I've seen is uh, Coles has a bring back your plastic, uh, like drop off your, your plastic bags, plastic wrapping, wrapping, packaging, all those sorts of bits and pieces mm. that used to end up in, in landfill. Because it's, it's just got so confusing nowadays. Um, it has. That... Oh, I have no idea what you can chuck out and what you can't. So I just keep to like the stuff I know that you can, like cans. <laughs> I just that, burn everything. There we go. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> no, not, not really. Not kids, if you're listening. Uh, Matt, you and, I, you and I think very similar. I work on the, um, the, the same principle adopted by the Hatfields and the McCoys, which is shoot them all and let God sort it out. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, Peter. Because, and look, um, again, without having a... Uh, a free hit at um, at smacking, giving a backhander to a, a local council, but um, Mornington Peninsula Council this week uh, down here in Victoria copped a lot of flack because they're looking at um, re-education programs for people who can't use their, uh, who continually misuse their recycling bins. Um, mm. But but part of the problem is that you've got to you've got to check your packaging. You've got to find out, you need a ready reckoner, you need to work out whether it's a one, two, three, four, five or six because ones, twos and fours can be recycled but threes, fives and sixes can't and only after the second Tuesday after a full moon. And <laughs> hey, Pete, we're all responsible for the environment and sometimes that takes a little bit of effort. <laughs> yes. But I understand that. So let's put it all in the bin and let somebody yeah. use some effort to work it out and recycle. <laughs> so well, well done to Bright because this makes it simple. You just go, exactly. like the thing at Coles, if there's a box where I bought the beer or, um, you know, at a, a shop that everyone sort of goes to where you can just sort of, you don't even have to go into the shop if you can just kind of drop it in on your way past. Um, and then all those things then get re recycled um, correctly. Um, then that, that, that's uh, to be applauded. Um, I don't know. Would you need to like peel the labels off first or, you know, I'm trying to just work out a way of the relics, label stickers and packaging out in here, but... Ah, um, uh, okay, yeah. go on then. Because shrink Get sleeves, going. I don't know if you guys... Have, have you guys heard of shrink sleeves? <laughs> no, a lot of brewers love to heard. have shrink sleeves on their cans, but um, they go, oh, yeah, they, they ask us all the time. They actually ring me personally. You know, sometimes in the middle of the night, they just go, prof, what's going on here? Where am I going to get, uh, you know, room to put a, a shrink sleeving machine? And I say that I say to them, well, you don't have to worry about it because Rellings label stickers and packaging are not able to just supply labels for your cans or bottles, but they come pre-done. They're ready to go. Um, all you have to do is fill them. There's nothing more to do. And they say, oh, thanks very much, Prof. Um, I'll let you get back to sleep now. And uh, and then everyone's happy. Um, but they can also do um, blank cartons. They can do can trays, tap decals, barcodes, shrink sleeves, um, the whole magilla, whatever you need. Give them a call on 1300 852 235. That's Rellings Label Stickers and Packaging. All of their stuff is recyclable, I'm going to assume. <laughs> 
<laughs> you don't know that. Bit. Well, mate, no, we've talked about this. It's certainly more recyclable than the, um, you know, silicon-backed uh, paper that a, a lot of uh, paper-based uh, labels come Ooh, off. Thank you. And again, cool. Matt, that's part of the problem. Is that it's it's, it's so an assumption, or yeah, yeah, it's 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 not it's not easy, and it should be. It should be easy. Let's create some jobs. Somebody out there, let's get an entrepreneur onto this. Maybe the same <laughs> entrepreneur who'd be keen to sponsor our mailbag, which we might talk about. Later <laughs> Actually, we haven't. Yeah. You know, um, but before we do yeah, that, um, have you guys heard of Good Beer Week? Ooh, good. The program is an event. Wow. It's more than an event, Matt. <laughs> Yes, yeah, so the program for Good Beer Week launched on Friday uh, last week. Um, kicking off on May the 14th, um, there's all sorts of stuff going on. First ever non-alcoholic event from Upflow. Uh, beer and yum cha matching. What's yum cha? Yum cha is the dumplings that they wheel around on, you know, dumplings and stuff in Chinese restaurants. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, yeah. We don't have that in England. Sorry. We just anglicise it and make it ours. Um... A Daft Punk brew, a tribute party. Oh, yeah, I forgot about Daft Punk. Um, fresh off being named to world's top 50 cinemas, the Sun Theatre celebrates by hosting a special Story of Girl Power screening, um, pairing Thelma and Louise with beer from Two Birds. That sounds like loads of fun. I love that film. Um, so anyway, good beer week. Sounds like it'll be fun. Go for it, guys. We're off, aren't we? You're, plenty of events, but also plenty of excitement because, um, as I say, we all kind of got dudded last year and uh, and everyone missed out. So uh, um, Beautiful. good to welcome it back. We're just going to mm. keep fingers crossed that um, everyone stays sane and borders stay open and we can we can do the stuff that we want to do. Well, yeah. look, that, that's the thing. You know, we, we, we certainly uh, – the, the Brisbane office isn't uh, booking tickets, you know, flights or anything yet mm. um, because – Not safe. <laughs> yeah, well, we can't go anywhere over Easter. Potentially, yeah. so uh, yeah, no, it's, it's um, good. Good luck to them, and we'll just see what happens with COVID. Exactly. Cool. So now, are we doing mailbag in below the fold? Or no, look, we, we, we yeah, punted we'll below the fold only because it always stimulates such a discussion. All right. In that case, thanks, Matt. Thanks, Claire. Bye. <laughs> yeah. So this is the bit where I go. I'm going to try and trick Joe, in and give her no time to put the the music in, but she, I can hear she's doing it now. <laughs> Because then I forget <laughs> that she gets awful. to edit it. She listens back to it and she can she can put it in. But you know, I'm going to keep trying to trick her anyway. Um, <laughs> so that's the news. Go off, do it, do your stuff that if you need to get back to work or uh, whatever it might be. Um, but if you want to stick around for a little bit of extra, um, you are welcome to hang around for Below the Fold. Now, don't forget, you can review us on iTunes or you can send us in an email to be in the draw for the letter of the week, which is pretty exciting um, because you get a... Thanks to our very good friends at Thirsty Merchants, you get a dog bone bar blade and our love. So if we do <laughs> mention you and we haven't mentioned you before, therefore we don't have a, an address for you, don't be shy. Just say, oh, I heard you call out my name, read my letter, whatever it might be. Um, so can, you know, can I get a bit, can I get some merch? Can I get some love? And we'll send it out to you. Uh, you can also uh, join our Facebook page uh, group which is a really good way of engaging and fleshing out the stories um, if you have Thank you to all of the eagle eyes that, you know, keep us, uh, you know, it, it, it's funny. Sometimes we see, uh, you know, some stories posted into the Facebook group where we're halfway through written, writing the actual, you know, we, we've seen it, we're actually writing the story about it. We're going, God, it's going to look like we're actually, uh, you know, being prompted to do news based on uh, what 
it, the it, brain it, trust. Yeah, but it's very valuable. <laughs> it, it just makes sure we haven't missed anything. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and so yeah, uh, four thousand sets of eyes is better than three. So uh, keep 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 those um, keep those things coming. Don't forget to to subscribe uh, to this podcast if you haven't already, and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you uh, get your your podcasts through, because um, it costs you nothing at the end of the day. We don't ask much, and this is you know, apart from a mailbag sponsor. If, if seriously, if you'd like to, oh, mate, <laughs> you're pushing hard for that. Yeah, today. I don't know. Like I, I feel <laughs> grubby with the amount of advertising we're carrying already, but you know, we don't it, do advertising, Matt. We do partnerships. We do part. Well, and even then, it doesn't cover the cost, the production cost. So uh, oh, that's right. Know, this is an industry service. Anyway, yeah, that's right. If you want to keep the hamster on the wheel, um, anyway, welcome to Below the Fold. I'm anxious to find out. Has everyone listened to the podcast this week? Um, I have not. It's been a busy week. Pete, have you had a chance to listen? Have you listened to the Batch one particularly? Uh, no, I haven't. Oh, okay. Oh, what did they say? Yeah, we were talking about this, weren't we, earlier? Well, if you'd listened to it, Claire, you would know oh. what they said. Um, but anyway, look, yeah, no, I, I, was, I was just after a little bit of uh, thoughts because it was a fairly, you know, it, it, they're really hard conversations to, to have when you've got, you know, like really nice guys and we've had some great podcasts with them before, mm-hmm. but they're asking, you know, $14 million. Oh, and, and they can make some very good beer. Um, but, you know, they're making 350,000 litres of it and valuing the business at $14 million. And you're sort of saying, well, how does that work out? Um, mm. You know, what is it? Because it's clearly when you read all of the stuff in the um, uh, the, the, the Equitise campaign, it's being sold as an investment very, very clearly. And there's all sorts of little crumbs that they drop about the value of the business and the return that you're going to get um, that – just defies any um, reality, um, you know. So, so they've they've got a multiple based on revenue, um, which in business, um, the the world of business, if you're selling a like a hospitality business, you get depending on you know the the strength of the brand, a multiple of a, between four to ten at the extreme end of EBITDA, um, which even if they had a really, really strong brand, if they were a hospitality business, a lot of their income is derived through their hospitality side. Um, that would value them at most, at the most optimistic valuation would be $4 million. So what are investors getting for the extra nine? Well, the, the, but that's, and, that, and that's where whenever you speak to people that are getting crowdsourced funding, they talk about this allows our most passionate people to you know, own part of it, which... They they do, and people seem to you know God they've already smashed a million dollars I believe you know they in in a couple of days they're still in the private um, phase, um, so they've raised more than Brewdog has um, so they you know they've got a strong brand people are invested in it, but I always come back to if it's going to be if if that's what you're saying that it is you know whenever you're challenged about the commercial investment figures you're putting on it you start talking about it gives your most loyal fans the opportunity to be part of your business. Why don't you just sell it as that? Why do you push the investment? Because you, you, and it, look, it, it, there was a really hard bit where they talk in the prospectus about there was a, you know a buyback from um, you know a, 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 I think the guy who founded Campos who bought into the business and bought in having cashed out some of the early investors and it included the line and you know these guys got a 285% return on their investment 
but that was not an evaluation of $14 million. <laughs> you know, whatever, and, you know, when, when you ask them, well, what was that valuation based on? There was a really a real reluctance to say that, which showed the gulf between what the actual value of the business is if you had to sell it and the passion value of it based on what a CSF can get. So, yeah, look, I, I, you know, I, I just have... Um, um, when you speak to other people in the, in, in the industry, valuing a business is incredibly hard and yet this does set a benchmark and a, you know, it frames a conversation around brewery values that I think a lot of people, lures a lot of people into the industry um, thinking, oh shit, you know, I looked at their brewery, you know, to, to build that, you know, you'd only be looking at, you know, one, one and a half million dollars to install that brewery and, you know, a couple of years of work. I can make fifteen million dollars on you know on on that sort of investment when no no you can't because you know you're selling off six percent at um, that so anyway yeah I was just interested in some thoughts so uh, as always chat room um, let us know what you thought well and again just on that Matt one thing you made me think of is that and it's probably uh, starting to form the title of the episode but um, it's confusing because uh, <laughs> there are very there are lots of different types of but there are lots of different types of, of um, revenue raising, but everyone kind of thinks of them as, oh, it's it's me getting in and I'll get more than I put, I'll get back more than I put in. Yep. But with some, it's no, well, you know, you're, you're part of, you're, you're saying that you love what we do and you want to be part of that and, you know, we'll give you some merch or whatever. So it is it is confusing because, and, and I back you on, I guess, digging into the um, the thinking behind this one, the next one, and the, the 50 that will come after it because we're comparing them to the 100 that we've already had and they're all quite different. They're all suffer varying levels of success. But they and all so, compare them because it's, it's funny. When you speak to the equity guys that do CSF, they all sort of say, oh, well, you, you look at them, you know, tens of millions of dollars that, you know, a brewery like Bolter sells for and – you know, you sort of go, well, you, see, I'm seriously, you know, I love what you guys are doing, Batch, but if you're going to compare yourselves to Bolter, you're just not dealing in reality there, you know, because it was a vastly mm. different business, vastly different growth trajectory, vastly different, you know, everything about it was vastly different. Everything was different, different. yeah. And, and, and look, the, 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 more than anything, I think the, the my query is you speak to a lot of these guys about how, competitive they're finding the industry and this is providing capital for them to expand but in grossly over invisibly grossly overinflating the value of the business they create this perception that it's an industry that is very profitable and I, I do wonder whether they're actually incentivizing more companies to come in and, and and go ahead with their plans to open a business because look at the multiples you can get when you you know sell your business um yeah i, I do wonder mm. if there's an un- un- i'm not sure on that though matt because if someone's coming into the industry with money on their mind rather than the love of it or whatever else the romantic version of it is if they're coming and thinking oh i can make a shitload of money i think the reality will hit quite quickly when they realize how much they're going to have to invest in this and if they even do any research about it find out how hard it is find out that you know whatever your costs are going to be double it whatever you think the time it's going to take you double it 
Like, I think the reality of it, it will be. We're the only ones that are saying, uh, you know, like, if you read anything else in the industry, <laughs> yeah, true. it's, true, true. oh, this all industry is awesome. You know, we're doing so well. You know, it, 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 it's just such a party that everyone loves each other and everyone is supporting each other. And quite simply, that's not the truth of the, of the matter. And when you look yeah, at, you know, it, when you cost your business to get started, you know, for one and a half, two million dollars, you can build a pretty impressive stainless steel manufacturing plant that will certainly make three hundred and fifty thousand liters. But if but if you think, well, shit, if we do that and we just sort of, you know, buy a few Facebook ads and sell three hundred and fifty thousand liters, and we can, you know, and three hundred fifty thousand liters isn't a lot of beer. But we can then sell that for fifteen million dollars. That's a pretty good return on an investment. Yeah, true. But I mean, really, like you said, like you said previously, realistically, if you went to sell outright, you're not going to get that kind of money for it. No, but it, well, except are you? Because these guys have raised, you know, one and a half million dollars in three days based on an investment of fifteen million dollars. But that's which... the difference between a retail and a professional investor, or someone who's actually going to buy a business, is that a retail investor either doesn't know or doesn't care how much they valued it for; they just want to be involved in it. But that's the distinction. I don't think. Yeah, but I don't think that's a distinction because even you know, like I was left with the impression from the batch guys that when they looked at what they could get from a proper sale. Um, even a portion of it and how much of the business they had to give up for such a small amount of money that wouldn't have actually capitalised yeah. the business. And when they looked at what they valued the business at and you know they valued their business based on the amount of sweat equity that they've put in and the struggle that they've had, you know, which is a very distorted, you know, no one else mm. is going to pay you for that. No. And that's where um, CSF becomes valuable to them because they feel like they're getting a legitimate return on their investment yeah and not to say it's about batch but i think sometimes the thinking with equity crowdfunding is oh these people are retail investors they like our brand they aren't going to give us as much shit they aren't going to hold us to account as much as a professional investor might do like a shareholder of the business who does it professionally will be wanting reports at like quarterly they'll want to know where you're going they want you to be held accountable you'll have to have meetings with them all the time but i don't think a retail investor <laughs> Which, would as we know from as endeavor <laughs> you know exactly. the endeavor like the, the 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 people that were promised they were going to be family um you know you give us your money and you'll be part of the endeavor family haven't even heard from the founders since yeah. last november when there was a board push that a certain me- number of board members actually got to know enough about the business that they wanted to overturn the board. No one else has yeah. heard anything. So, no, yeah, absolutely. It, it, you know, CSF is, is free money. But, uh, and, uh, you know, there's only so much I can say, but I do get a lot of phone calls from brewers who want to discuss valuation. So, you know, when I'm saying these things, to some extent it is informed, but I can see... We, because of what we do, we're sometimes seen as a crossroads of information in, in the industry. So I get phone calls from people going, so, you know, what do you rec- what have you heard about this sale or what have you heard about this sale in terms of framing values and, you know, how does that compare to – you see people looking at equity crowdfunding valuations and because of the aspirational nature and because of what they want their business to be worth, they actually pin the value of their business – on those valuations, when you just never you're never going to realise that from a sale of your business, um, you might get a small yeah, amount of free true. or you know, one and a half million dollars in a, a small amount, 
Um, mm. But because there is that perception out there that you know a, a very small little lifestyle business is worth fifteen million dollars, I do wonder whether that's going to you know that encourages people to think, well, actually, yeah. I can get a return on my investment. No, I know what you mean, and there's unintended consequences from things like that that we can't see just yet. We but can't see yet. Might have an impact later on. So we'll keep. Anyway, it. go listen to it. And let me know what you think. Hmm. Yeah, just quickly, did we do mailbag? No. And now it's time for mailbag. <laughs> I've got a quick one that was uh, sent to me via Windows Mail from someone I don't know, and so I'll just read it and, and let you guys um, answer. Cause, ap- apropos of uh, zero zero, and. Um, apropos of us getting um, asked for our expert opinion, Matt. Hey there, mate. Just a question for you. I was in one of my bottle shops here in Bundaberg to buy more 0.0 when I was told that the stubbies are going to be discontinued and only cans will be for sale. Can you tell me if there's any truth to this as I love your beer but hate drinking cans? And that's from Rob, thanks heaps, Rob Smedley. Now, I don't know if you guys, do you guys know a Rob Smedley? No. The name kind of rings Ooh. a bell, but I can't. Mm. But I don't know how he thinks I, I brew beer. And, and which, <laughs> yeah, what mention, beer were we talking about? Yeah, he didn't mention which beer, just that it was a 0.0 uh, that's going to be discontinued as, as, as uh, stubbies. Mate, we, we get this all the time where people Google mm. a beer. they uh, Because we've spoken about it or written about or it. Because or because we've written about it mm. with a, and we have good SEO with a number one hit. Um, you know, so, so I get calls on a Saturday afternoon going, oh, look, I, do you have any vacancies I'd like to book a table? I go, well, yeah, absolutely. There's no one here at the moment. Um, you come anytime you want. But you know, would you I, like, I don't think we're talking about the same thing. So, so, so yeah, they, they Google X brand beer. We're the number one hit. They click on it. They assume that they're on the website. Then they go to the contact us and suddenly they're finding right. me. Um, okay. So I'm, I'm wondering if that's, you know, so, so maybe um, they're discontinuing the brew stubbies. I don't know because Bundaberg Ooh. is was a big market for brew. It was, but brew don't do a zero yeah. zero, do they? No, no. Is that specifically a zero zero? They may as well <laughs> because no one's drinking it anyway. That's it. <laughs> ask him if you reply. Ask him if he's seen any brew. Just I'm curious. I've never met anyone that has. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, Side I track. guess then. Yeah, technically, it, it, it's the um, it's the ultimate zero zero beer. <laughs> um, <laughs> Now, we've got some comments, Some sorry, some comments from uh, particularly in the Facebook group uh, to a couple of articles that we'll go through and we'll give you the mm-hmm. expurgated version, the one without the gannet, and trim it down a little bit because there was a lot uh, to speak about, so let's speak about it. Uh, starting sure. off with uh, the uh, tax rates on seltzer. Mm-hmm. It wasn't that any, yeah, like I saw it and, it, it, again, it was something that I posted because... You know, there's that little bit of self-affirmation, I, I guess, because it was one of the things I've talked about is when craft brewers are making seltzers that are indistinguishable from Alcopops, how do you manage to maintain your argument that the product that you're making is special and worthy of differential treatment? Um, and that was, you know, I, I don't think the a- ABC, you know, has picked up on my comments. I think it's just one of those obvious discussions and fair is obviously pushing it that alcohol is alcohol is alcohol is is their argument and that's incidentally also the argument that the distilled spirits council argues that if you've got a five percent beer and a five percent premix, they should be taxed the same um one of the effective arguments going back to when the alcopop tax and i take hendo's point that it, there actually isn't an alcopops tax but there was a change of definitions around 
meaning, you know, making sure that the alcohol pops couldn't be um, taxed as beer. Um, the common is, name for which became the alcohol pop tax. The alcohol pop tax, yeah. yeah. It, yeah. it, it was exactly. brought in specifically to deal with that specific problem. Well, because yeah. funnily enough, the distilled, like you, you had vodka or cruisers. And because vodka cruisers, which were, you know, lime and lemon flavoured vodka that also had a ton of sugar in, um, so you couldn't actually taste the alcohol. Um, because alcohol has, has an unpleasant taste, you know, um, and the distillers were making these very sweet, you know, appealing 5% drinks that because they were so easy to drink, they were targeted at young people who were, you know, there was a perceived problem in the industry. And it was a very real demonstrable problem. So the, the, the tax rate was changed. And from memory, they then started making, well, okay, if we can't use distilled spirits, we're just going to make a beer and, do, you know, like ferment a product, make it like beer, still put the um, sugar in and sell it, getting the concession that brewers get. And that was what the Alcopops tax was designed to capture. The, the, the distilled spirits makers getting around the attempt to crack down on Alcopops. That actually worked. They changed the definition of beer. You know, I had to have a minimum of 4% uh, of, you know, four IBUs. It couldn't be post-sweetened, all, you know, all of these sorts of things. Um, fast forward 15 years and suddenly it's the brewers who are trying to muscle in on you know this territory um, with a beer that skirts definitions of beer so they can get the tax benefits of it. But I... And, Claire alluded to the unintended consequences. Suddenly, and and that's just on seltzers, but then you've got all of these, you know, pastry stouts and things like that that don't meet the definition of beer anymore either. They just haven't come to scrutiny because it's a a small uh, industry. So, you know, my fear has always been the craft industry is going to create a situation where it actually can no longer argue for these exemptions for itself because it's starting to look like the distilled spirits industry um and and that seems to be coming to pass mm. what do you think then about um hendo's suggestion that one standard drink is one standard drink and tax alcohol that way what do you think about that do you think that would be a better way to do it all well <laughs> well again as somebody that doesn't own a brewery it's very hard to argue against that except well look one standard drink that would actually disadvantage the brewers. It would, I think it would make them more competitive compared to wine. It would make them less competitive compared to um, distillers. But at the same time, it doesn't take into account that thing where you can manufacture something that is one standard drink, sweeten the bejesus out of it, and actually mm. make it a weapon of mass consumption for kids. Because yeah. we know that... Um, young, inexperienced drinkers gravitate toward sweeter drinks, less bitter drinks. They also don't, for a variety of reasons, don't consume automatically responsibly. That is changing culturally, but traditionally that was the thing. So if you just go one standard drink is one standard drink is one standard drink, then you open the floodgates to cynical operators that want to target, um, which hurts the whole industry and plays into the anti-alcohol lobby Again, just as a passionate beer drinker, my argument has always been beer made traditionally has bitterness. Bitterness is something, is an acquired taste that people have to 
become better, you know, have to. We've often referred to it as a, a, a built-in speed hump. A, a speed hump, like yeah. It, it slows you down. It, it does slow you down, which was always, incidentally, my criticism of the Coronas and things like that because they, they, they were a product that were very successfully made as beer, but they were targeting, and, and brewers have admitted this, that, you know, mainstream beers have skewed their bitterness down because the distilled spirits industry has been so successful at targeting their sweetened drinks to young drinkers that brewers have had to make their beers progressively less bitter because they can't wait for people to develop that, um, you know, taste for... Sophisticated palate. Bitterness, yeah. Um, and, and, and so and that's where you, like in, in the private conversations that the industry has with itself, you do get those, those admissions. Um, but to me, that comes back to, well, if, if beer has to compete with Alcopops and Seltzer because they're taxed the same, that actually damages the traditional beer industry, beer with genuine flavour. Um, and and you know, I, I've raised it with, you know, I think some of these juicy IPAs and things like this, you know, are, are basically goon um, because the, the brewers brag about having low bitterness and the juiciness um, and the, the, the back sweetening of it, which <laughs> when you hear it described that way is basically... You know, over beer, um, and how do you compete? You know, with um, Canadian Club. You know, when 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 you're basically a like a a, a juicy um, beer, and all of this comes in, and and this is where if you pull on one level uh, lever, you don't know what's going to be activated in another part of the industry. Um, so it's really really hard. But the way that brewers have jumped on seltzer in many ways makes it really, really hard for the craft beer industry, as it was traditionally known, to argue for a differential over spirits and wine and those sorts of things because, you know, it doesn't even look or taste different to, to um, RTDs anymore. Ooh, mm. interesting. Lots, lots to think about there, everyone. This is why we call it Below the Fold. That's right. We were speaking about Batch and Steve Levian in the Facebook group, who must have a wall full of uh, bar blades by now, um, uh, whether he would invest in Batch, Claire. Uh, yes, uh, Steve says, uh, not with $250 minimum for 5% discount. Brewdog was $100 for the same amount. Ooh. I don't see these investments for profit. More of a small help with chance of recouping my money through savings. So the money you would save by getting your by showing your card and saying I've oh that's donated. an interesting way of looking at it yeah I never thought about it like that but I mean this is what exactly what we were talking about the difference between what a professional versus a retail investor would think and perceive the exactly. equity crowdfunding thing as like to it's also, to Steve it's also again clear it's, it's that difference between um, cost and value so if you mm-hmm. value an association with your favourite brewery. It's not as much of an investment as it is, uh, you know, a, an opportunity to to wear your loyalty proudly. Whereas yeah. somebody else who's completely divorced from it, you know, I, I don't know anything about, I don't know whatever it might be, you know, uh, some product. And but I go, but you know, I'll invest in it because you know I've got the spare money, and I'm, I'm then divorced from it. I can just look at it in terms of the numbers. I'm yeah. a very different investor then to the one who uh, invests in something that he is emotionally invested in the but, yeah. but you know like Ben Krause has had the posse pack for years you know like do, do they actually have member discounts Pete you were a very early uh, you know entry. well it's uh, well lots of other beer clubs definitely do 
Yeah, but if, if you're going to do a oh. beer club, even one that you charge $250 to join the beer club um, and you you know, you know get a shirt and a hat and then uh, you know, an everlasting... Um, that's a much more honest way than sort of saying, you know, also holding oh, up yeah. the promise that one day this overinflated thing is going to be worth something. Yeah, definitely. It is an interesting one, though. And I always think about it in terms of, like, house prices because we're looking looking not to buy anytime soon but in the next year or two maybe um and i always think why on earth is that that piece of crap house so much more expensive than that nicer house it's because people value that area they've they think it's worth more because people can and people can charge more for it um because of perceptions of it because of perceptions of that area and it's i think that's the same with breweries if you perceive it to be worth that much if you believe it to be worth that much then to you it is until you've based your lifestyle on thinking that one day you're actually going to get that money in your bank account <laughs> yeah correct <laughs> interesting there we go a very interesting discussion uh and that mm. i think is it for mail bag we do have more couple of comments and things yeah but that's it yeah but that's so a tweet hour uh, yeah so now you find us below the fold what, haven't, we, haven't we been below the fold we for a while now? We kind of have. We, we have indeed, yeah. We just didn't change the show notes around. So. No, I think we're just going to change it to below the mailbag fold. <laughs> <laughs> or just, and now, welcome to everything else. Oh, and in breaking news, That's lockdown good. ends at noon today. Oh, lovely. Oh, there you, go. you get a half a day off for good behaviour. Excellent. <laughs> so down in Victoria, completely different. We go, well, good news, everyone. The, um, you know, you don't have to wear masks anymore. In three days' time. No, no, no. And everyone, everyone stop wearing them straight away. Yeah, so, no, yeah, no. we can go out tomorrow when nothing's open. Oh, <laughs> classic. All those people that had holiday bookings will be breathing a big sigh of relief. And most importantly, yeah. anyone that has a hospitality or a tourism-based business who, uh, you know, they're the people who really suffer. They're, they're the ones that are really taking the hit so all of us can be safe. Do we need to wrap this up now so that you guys can bolt out to uh, your local... Uh, convenience store uh, before everyone uh, takes all the poo tickets. <laughs> well, no, funny, I, I, I saw somebody. I, I, I saw somebody posted. You know, the year is twenty twenty seven, and finally, I used my last toilet roll from you know the great. I went out um, at, at the height of the, the lockdowns last year and bought when everyone was buying, you couldn't get a four-pack. And I, I live by myself with uh, visits from my, uh, my my children. Um, so I don't need, you know, a, a regular 36-pack of uh, toilet paper. Thanks for that, Matt. Yeah, no, well, look, it, <laughs> I'm, I'm just setting the scene because you could only get... An insight into Matt's uh, life. Yeah. Yeah. Starting, <laughs> starting with his toilet I'm, paper I'm just needs. saying, mate, I, I don't have a lot of bottoms here. Um, only one. Um, <laughs> and... Uh, um, uh, but you, all you could get was the 36-pack of um, TP. So, you know, I only just went through that. Um, oh, good one. Mm. But it, consequently... Book, though, Matt. Worth pointing out, yeah, listeners, at this stage, it, lots of people have uh, described Matt as um, more full of shit than the next bloke. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'll wear that. I won't wipe I it, but I'll wear it. possibly make any comment. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you are shocking. Absolutely shocking. Oh. <sighs> Follow us for more tips on household <laughs> living. We've got a few more things. But okay, throw them in. Matt did a lovely bit on the um, first harvest, the Cascade first harvest. I don't know if you guys want to discuss on account of yeah, I didn't bit, know well, the history it, it, of this. It, it, it is a little bit of old men reminiscing, but it was 
such a surprise to get a media release yesterday because you know it used to be um, hyped, you know, where you would get your because it was the first time I ever went to a hop field was on the um, you know Cascade, Cascade Coin back in the days when they had budget for that sort of thing and they flew me down from Brisbane and you know, the hop tour and there's photos of me and Willie Simpson putting the hops into the kettle at the Cascade Brewery and you know it was a big thing and it was it it, it said so much about the early days of craft beer CUB trying to fit in it was an incredibly um, significant beer I still haven't found another commercially available fresh hop beer internationally but I just don't like using that that thing so for this suddenly to pop up as a media release was really really odd um, because I knew that there wasn't a brand manager for Cascade and if you if, if this is a brand play for Cascade you're going to have a brand manager driving it and CUB don't that there doesn't seem to be as a wider um, Cascade this is what we're doing. They've they've rejigged their um, brewery tap room. They've got an airport bar, but they're very isolated things. So it just seemed like a really really odd thing to suddenly do. Well, it's got to be ten years since I did the last one. Six, uh, twenty sixteen. Um, twenty sixteen. I thought yeah. it was twenty fourteen. No, no, it's another one that uh, James Atkinson. Uh, you know, again, you know, one so why he's that. one of the leading um, beer you know, drinks writers, he he clued to that, you know, um, and, and just wrote a little piece that they acknowledged that they weren't doing one in 2016. So so they didn't do one in 2016? No, and haven't done one since. Since, yeah. But, yeah, no, they, they did 2015, and but it, it was – they really tried – and go back to listen to the Antonia Chorchari podcast, which – because she was a brand man. She cut her teeth in CUB – as a assistant brand manager for Cascade. And in fact, Benny Summons, who was the managing director of Fermentus, Fermentum, until he was now, but was the CEO of... He, well, he was. Of Stone I, and, Wood, got a, and then he stepped up. Yeah, but before that, when he was working with CUB, he was the brand manager um, when they were making Cascade Green, which was the first... In, in fact, I think neutral. it was yeah, the, the first carbon neutral beer in Australia. And... They really did play around with that brand, try because of the that they were targeting the strength of the Bogues brand. You know, Bogues had created this mystery of Tasmania, and they had this very old, beautiful brewery that they tried to leverage. You know, under SAB Miller, under AB InBev, they couldn't sell it off the way that they were able to with the Newcastle Brewery. Um, and all of those things. So because it it's more than just stainless steel. Yeah, um, but in making giving it craftier credentials, they also killed it to some extent in its home state because there was that whole thing where they went from three seventy five mil stubbies to three thirty mil stubbies and had the VB reducing the alcohol backlash in Tasmania. Yep. That I don't actually. It may have been cost cutting, but it was also trying to contemporise the brand. And three thirty stubbies were the thing that everyone was moving towards. Um, Do you think things like uh, the home of Goose Island in Australia also diluted the the relevance to the locals? Uh, well, again, that's where you've got a brand that you can't sell off, you can't develop. We need to try and make it something. Um, so, it, you know, it was, yeah, Goose Island. Um, I believe that they're, make, um, they're, they're still making, I think they're making West End. No, that's Lion. Um I don't know. Yeah, I actually don't know what's coming out of it. But to, to be honest, Pete, I actually think 
three or four weeks ago, they announced that VB, was it VB, Claire, was partnering with um, Victorian barley growers? Yes, I believe so. Made a big uh, play about that. When you look at this media release, they didn't even send out initially a photo of Cascade Brewery, Cascade Beer, Cascade Glassware, Cascade. It was a photo of you know our good friend Owen Johnson. Um, yeah, that was a bit. That was interesting. I clocked that as well. I was like, "That's strange. that's really odd." And yeah, it just seemed like an unusual thing. You know, like I photographed Tim Lord back in the day when we were talking about Cascade First Harvest. But you'd sort of think if you're making a hero out of your beer, you're going to photograph the beer somewhere. Um, and it was only later that the PR person sent through some obviously very hurriedly staged, you know, I would take better camera phone photos of tap handles and poured beers and that sort of thing um, that it almost seemed an afterthought. And, you know, yeah, so I actually think this is um, a, a corporate play at an Asahi level. Uh, did, did you see – I know that this is a very long um, – bit of a, a rant but did you see yesterday a, a Tasmanian brewer who describes himself as a gentleman brewer um, which basically means I open my brewery when I can be bothered mm-hmm. then waded into the comments going oh you know a, a, a Japanese owned brewery is using oh, German owned yeah, um, mm. and, and I, to be honest I actually think that this is a play designed to counter that um, they're making the you know as a big corporate entity they're placing themselves very closely to um, local suppliers, which incidentally is something that we talked about on the podcast. You know, maybe even when the barley thing happened, or you know, even before then, it's been something we've talked about a little bit. Um, and again, I don't think it's them listening to us and going, "Hey, that's a good idea." I think we were just onto you know what the corporate strategy was, um, and I, I think it's just showing that they get their ingredients from Australians to head off any discussion about where the profits go. We invest heavily in in the local industry, which you you, you can't criticise them for. And Claire, I hope you're warmed up because your boom at the end better be good because that, i got to say, was <laughs> gold standard flog voice from Matt. <laughs> um, now, oh, God, no pressure. Apropos... There you go. There's a full line of apropos, I think, for those playing along in the... We love card. a good apropos um, around the, here. Exactly. Yep, the Facebook beautiful. comments uh, regarding apropos, our story about ABAC. <laughs> uh, some very interesting comments, I thought. Yeah. I mean, sometimes I think people just read the ABAC stories and then have a just internally have a moan and all that kind of stuff. But on this one, obviously, it was a little bit different. And uh, Ben Eaton, Etal. Uh, said, did the did ABAC just do more for brewers in a sitting than the IBA has done this year? <laughs> Ouch! <laughs> Ouch! I have to say about it, it that. does it does highlight that um, oh. yeah, ABAC certainly I think stood up and mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and announced itself. As, oh, look, you know, this is for the benefit of everybody because it, was it part of the criticism was that. Okay, fourteen of these have all come through in one minute, all from the same IP address. See, and this is why the whole report was just an absolute mess because they just decided to from the council council. I mean, they just decided to pick all sorts of random things like, oh, your overall objectives are vague, and then they went, how you dealt with pandemic marketing was crap. When obviously they made most of the the drama, um, and for ABAC to stick its head above the parapet and say, right, well, clearly you're full of shit, effectively, the subtext of that, 
it was, was amazing. That, was that a Good quote from him? <laughs> <laughs> uh, absolutely not. I would never, ever put those words in, in their mouth. No, definitely not. Um, but, you know, I I feel like they finally got to that point where they were like, no. And sometimes I think people really do appreciate that. They appreciate that, you know, this, this organisation, ABAC, who has been relatively neutral about things, doesn't like to, you know, shove its opinion out there it doesn't have to you know it ticks along in the background often and we know it's there and um you know we've given a lot of time to it because we see its value for the industry for them to say that that was brilliant and and they should appreciate um that people do support them even if it's in a bit more of a a quiet way um and ben saying stuff like that is really interesting although i'd be interested in his thoughts as to why he hasn't thought the iba has done anything this year we talk a lot with the industry and uh, there's obviously different opinions about going on in the background about that but yeah interesting one and then one that actually kind of pissed me off, if I'm brutally honest, is the comment from... Um... <laughs> well, I, I, I think I can retire um, and just hand this over to Claire's soapbox. Yeah, we have a new leader. There. <laughs> this one, wow, okay, this one wound me up, right? So David Henderson, sorry for shouting you out here, but um, it's definitely schadenfreude that I'm enjoying seeing the censors being attacked by the very special interest groups they exist to serve. Hilarity. Right, well, I'm sorry, David. Um... That's not who they exist to serve, frankly. They exist to serve the alcohol industry. They are funded by the alcohol industry. They are, um, in an abstract way, managed by the industry. You know, that's what they're here for. Then they aren't, the council council doesn't have anything to do with ABAC. And in fact, the council councils and FAIR and all sorts of people who are the anti-alcohol lobby are attacking them constantly, but then also using them and therefore legitimizing them it's absolutely crazy and i can't believe this one and david you're just wrong sorry mate but that's not right that's uh, not what you should get out of this and i've just got a google analytics um update congratulations you uh have just exceeded your um <laughs> previous best for using the word shit in a podcast <laughs> <laughs> i can't believe that surely i've done it way more <laughs> it, it does show that people are, yeah it, people are very emotionally invested and mm. uh, but but it is worth sometimes and I guess that's part of what we're able to do here is to use this platform to uh, not redefine things but to, to just remind I guess sometimes uh, even ourselves that okay but, but this is the actual point of this or that or or this is why we do this or that mm-hmm. so um, and again you know can't say it enough times but um it's great that we, through our Facebook group, can provide a forum where all these different opinions, and, and I love it too when I see, and I think we had a couple of times um, following on from um, Hendo's uh, piece about uh, the, the tax rates on seltzer and beer and wine and all that sort of thing, that other people who you would assume knew all of the, you know, the the various um, bits and pieces of the, the legislation um, were sort of saying, oh, I didn't know that. So mm. there you go. <laughs> it's a learning space. Thanks very much to Cryer Malt. Thank you to Relling's Label Stickers and Packaging. And thank you to... Are we giving Thirsty Merchants... Because um, I know it's it's not, strictly speaking, a commercial deal, is it? You're... Yes, Pete, it is a commercial deal. Um, you know, so the, the, the Barbades uh, pay for their advertising, but they're high quality and we only work with people who, you know, like Yeti, um, you know, people whose products we stand behind and we use ourselves. Exactly. And I'd always used um, Thirsty Merch for my own personal beer mat, uh, um, bar blades. 
Yeah. I've heard that Yeti stuff is really, really good. Mm. Sorry, Pete. As soon as I can get into the office, I will send you a Rambler mug. <laughs> Uh, so thanks very much for uh, joining us. Um, congratulations to all those up in uh, Brisbane for doing the hard yards in two and a half days. Um, but uh, enjoy not, your freedom. Did you notice any complaining from us, Pete? Yeah, no, no complaints. No complaints. We're not. We're not. We're not derogating your experience by complaining about ours. Not at all. Um, so enjoy. Um, to everyone, have a great Easter. Uh, long weekend and I'm assuming now we're going to go back to normal programming Matt because uh, this Saturday night if you listen to this Friday that'll be tomorrow uh, daylight savings ends down here so we're all back on the same timeline oh thank god that'll make things just that little bit That's easier such a pain one, book, one yeah. less level of complexity to deal with I've definitely uh, missed a few calls from that this past six months or whatever that's very irritating thank you very much Claire enjoy your week <laughs> thanks Pete Get some nice chalky eggs, India. Shall do. Have a good one, Matt. Thank you, Pete. Happy Easter to you and happy Easter to all of the listeners. I think we've given you plenty to listen to over <laughs> your uh, beach vacations. Well, yeah, well, some of them might have to walk off the, uh, you know, the Easter bunnies. So, you know, got to get rid of that chalky Can I tell you, uh, ad- adopt a, um, uh, a dog or, you know, uh, just look after a dog because I've never walked so much in my life as having an energetic dog that, otherwise destroys the house. So great for podcasting. <laughs> no, and well done to you. I'm very proud of you. Uh, thanks very much. All right, get out there uh, over Easter. Enjoy some beer. Share, share some time with loved ones. Drink fresh. Drink local. Look after yourselves and each other. And wash your damn hands. And we're out. Boom. No, that's not going oh, to fly. No? Sorry. <laughs> You know what? So, you to Kalani Fuller and all the others, the I apologise on behalf of the Radio Brews News Network. W- w- was that you trying to do us doing your boom? Yeah. <laughs> Don't forget, if you like what we do here at Radio Brews News, you can help us out in a number of ways. You can sponsor the show either by a small monthly contribution or through a one-off donation. You'll find details in the show notes. You can also review us on iTunes or whatever your favourite podcasting service happens to be. Let us know what you think and help others find and discover our shows. Finally, you can tell us what you think about what's going on in the beer industry by emailing us at producer at brewsnews.com.au. All letters received will receive in return, as by way of thanks, a Brews News bottle opener. We love hearing your thoughts on the stories we cover because, as you may have heard, beer is a conversation. Beer.